couple special things happening this week. Tonight, Tacoma Stars Faith and Family game is at five o'clock at Showwear. And Felipe, one of the players and myself, are going to share about our faith, about Jesus after the game at Showwear. So you're invited to that. And you might be thinking, well, why do we do these things? Uh, it's important to know the why. We're not doing things just to do things. We've done them in the past. Uh, two things. One, you can come and get to know more people, connect, community, beyond the walls of the church, right? Build some relationships, have some fun together. And also it could be an opportunity to invite people that you know, maybe they're not ready to come to church, but they would come to a soccer game and they could hear about God. So that's tonight's show we're at five. And then Nazareth is coming here. You know, he reached out, he's in town. He said, you want to do something together? And I said, yeah, let's go for it. This Saturday night here at seven o'clock, it's free. Again, it's an opportunity for some refreshment because sometimes we get a little weary, right? And we just need to relax and be refreshed. Also, the theme is hope. And you might know some people who want to come. Again, maybe they're not ready to come to church, but a comedian in town. Nazareth has an incredible story. God saved him. He was, you know, professional comedian, just far away from God. And God intervened into his life, and now his life has changed. And so he has a gift with telling stories. He's going to share his But it's an opportunity to invite people. And with these different things, the why is important. We're trying to provide opportunities where you're already building relationships. You already have friendships. And now you're thinking, okay, maybe one of these two events really fits for my friend. And then just bring them along, have a great time, and watch what God will do. Amen? Sound good? Making sense? Making sense? Again, the why is so important, why we do things. And and that's why we have events like this. Great opportunity for how God's going to move and work. You know, Jesus did so much work, not just in a temple, but around the community at different events, weddings, funerals. He's just always doing incredible things. And we want to be building up God's kingdom in special ways. Today, we're in Luke chapter 15, and we're going through the parables of Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can find Luke 15 or on your phone. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And parables are these short stories where Jesus reveals so much about who God is and the kingdom and how we're going to live life. Today, we have a prayer time at the end of this message with our elders, and we do this once a month, and we do this because it's straight out of Scripture. Now, our elders are people within our church family that we've prayed about and voted and decided that they're going to serve. Uh, they're not paid. They volunteer. And in the Bible, you see that there's elders. That's God's plan. And there's a certain expectation there regarding their character, their walk with God. And so together, we choose these elders. And once a month, we have the elders One of the things the elders do is they pray all the time. And most of it's behind the scenes, so you don't really get to see it all. But today is one of those times where together we gather as a church family, you can come forward for prayer. And it's in James chapter 5 that God says, tell the elders to grab oil and pray over people who want prayer. Maybe you're here today and you want to start a relationship with God. Or you're returning to God. Or maybe you need healing physically. Or emotionally you're going through something. God says his house is a house of prayer for all nations, all people. And we have a sweet time of prayer. We had it at 9 o'clock every month. God answers prayer in amazing ways. Amen? We thank God for answering prayers. Has he answered any of your prayers recently? Let's seek the Lord together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you do strengthen in our weakness, God, your power is evident. Thank you that you renew our minds. Thank you that you change our hearts. Thank you that you reveal, give fresh vision and direction. God, we seek you together. And we know that you tell us in your word, God, that you want us to seek you. You want us to draw near and that you reward anyone who earnestly seeks you. Our desire is closeness with you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus takes the major themes of our lives, the ones that are so close to our heart, and weaves them together into one story. These themes include family, legacy, parenting, kids, faith, relationships, restoration, attitude, and he brings them all together into a parable. In this story, he also reveals so much about life and ultimately the kingdom of God. This is Luke chapter 15. And whenever you read the Bible, it's important to have the context. I encourage you to get a study Bible, maybe some commentaries, dive into God's word. And there's three parables in Luke chapter 15. We're gonna talk about the third one, but notice the tone when you read the Bible. And it's clear there's tension in Luke chapter 15. Here's the first two verses of the chapter and try to enter in into your mind. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Outreach is controversial. And Jesus is experiencing opposition, even hatred here, because Jesus connects with rebels. And he cares about sinners. He pursues them. He spends time with them. He associates with them. He eats with them. He's friends with them. And for the religious leaders, they don't like this. And the tension's growing. Outreach is controversial. Well, how are you doing it? How well is it working? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? How much are you doing? This is true then, and it's also true today. Religious people question outreach. They try to limit outreach. They wanna slow down outreach. They don't understand outreach. They wanna undermine it. They want to criticize it. And the body of Christ today still would rather judge it than join it. When God is moving, they'd rather judge it than join it. That's the religious mindset, religious people. Those were the Pharisees. Jesus knows exactly what the elements are in the room and he's not shrinking back. Outreach has a way of separating who wants to talk about it and who wants to take action. There's a lot of things in the body of Christ that people want to talk about, analyze, criticize, or even ask questions, but outreach just separates who wants to talk and who wants to take action. Jesus is someone who wants to take action. His kingdom is all about outreach. Jesus is all about outreach. He's going to lay down his life. You say, well, what about the 12? He's going to pour his life into 12. What about the world? He's going to lay down his life for the world. It's a both and. It's just not complicated. Some people say, well, it should be all about Christians. No, it shouldn't. Like there's outreach. Some people like it's all about outreach. No, it isn't. There's people to disciple and build up. It's simply a both and in the Bible. And you don't hold back in either way. Jesus is fully committed to both. So the Pharisees, sure, there's some discipleship. They're okay with that. But now outreach? Oh, no, no, no. We're not gonna see that happen. So Jesus faces accusations. They misunderstand him. There's resistance. They want to slow him down. There's slander. They attack his reputation. They question his motives. And none of this will stop Jesus with outreach. None of this will slow Jesus down. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up reading the Bible or knowing anything about Jesus until I went to college in a class where the professor didn't want it to happen. Um, I started to follow Jesus because he assigned the Bible and the Bible is powerful. And in my family, there's over 50 people and none of them following Jesus. So when I made that decision to follow Jesus, there's a lot of pushback in my family. That's not a popular decision. And I realized if I'm gonna follow Jesus and lead people to Jesus, 
my family's not going to be happy with it. And so early on as a Christian, even my first couple years, I had to decide, am I going for it with outreach or am I just going to do what my family wants me to do? It was an early, really clear decision I had to make like first two years into following Jesus. And I just decided I'd rather be faithful to God than what my family ultimately, although I love them, want to be close to them and honor them, I'm not going to give them the final say. Outreach is very controversial in our family. Well, what about in the world? You know, people often say, don't mention the name of Jesus. You can be a nice person and Jesus might work for you, but don't lead anyone to Jesus. And yes, we should bear the fruit. We should be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But why stop short if someone just calling you, oh, you're a nice person. That's not the fullness of your calling is to be a nice person, is to transform this world and lead people to Jesus. See, there's a lot of tension in this world about outreach. And then what about with Christians? Oh, there's tension there too. If you ask me the last couple decades, uh, two decades plus in ministry, the number one thing Christians argue about is worship. That's my experience in churches across the board. The number one thing they'll argue and dig their heels in is worship. The number one thing that they'll resist is outreach. Not as a concept, not as a concept. I'm talking about lifestyle and actually doing it. There's the most resistance in that area. Why these things? Because there's a lot on the line. In Luke chapter 15, there's a lot on the line. There's people, souls, a kingdom, the nations. There's a lot on the line. The Pharisees want to hold it back. Jesus' vision for the kingdom is so much greater. His love is so much greater. His grace is so much greater that he won't be contained. But there absolutely is tension in this passage. And when the religious leaders say, Jesus, could you turn it down? Could you quiet it down? Could you simmer down? Could you shut it down? Jesus doesn't say, oh, okay, sure. No problem, no problem. My bad, my bad. No, no, Jesus turns it up. Not once, not twice, three times. Three parables. Not once, not twice, three times. Jesus turns it up and they're watching it. They see what happens. The tension is right here. The heart behind these three parables is come home. Come home, come home to God and his presence. God is calling us today to come home. Now, Luke chapter 15, we're gonna highlight three defining moments in our relationship with God that we can relate to. And we start in verse 11 because there's three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and now the lost son. Some people say it's the lost sons. There's two who are lost Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The first defining moment is when you feel empty because you've been duped by the world and distanced yourself from God. How many times in our life are we duped in the deception and the lies of this world? 
We are duped and we conform to the patterns of this world. And without even realizing it, sometimes we wander and drift far away from God with our actions and our attitudes. There's two parables, perspectives here. One is of the son, the other is of the parent. You can take both perspectives as you consider this text. You're going to maybe think of things in your own life where you've been duped and drifted from God. You might also think of other people who are duped and drifted from God. Just be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say through the word of God today. There's two sons. The younger son wants his share of the inheritance. It's one third of the inheritance. The older son has a double portion. And the reason for that, it doesn't sound fair. Well, the older son, the older child had a responsibility to take care of the parent. Usually the inheritance was received or asked for when the parent dies, or maybe if the parent's frail and can no longer manage the estate. Neither is true here. The parent, no signs of any kind of limitation in the parent's health. The dad obviously hasn't passed away. The son just wants his share. Would you agree that it's common today that people just want what they want? I want what I want. I'm gonna live how I'm gonna live. I'm gonna chase happiness. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna try to get everything I can out of life. That's the attitude of the son and it's common today. What are the steps? Disregard what the father says is wise. Relationally drift from the father. Squander and lose more and more and eventually wonder, how did I end up here? It hasn't changed from Adam and Eve to today. That first step, question what the father says, question the father's word, question the father's wisdom, start to drift relationally from God, pretty soon losing more time, more energy, more money, more peace, more joy, and pretty soon ending up, in this case with prostitutes, just thinking like, how did I ever get here? Because sin won't stop. It wants to take more and more and more. It wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's what we see happening with this son. He takes what he wants, thinking it's all about me. And even though there's selfishness, he's going to end up in a spot with pigs. Pigs in the Bible were unclean. Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the culture at that time. No one ate pigs that was, again, following God. They didn't bring pigs to the sacrifice. And many Jews, they didn't even touch pigs. Aren't you glad we live in a different dispensation? Any bacon lovers in the room today? There's freedom, folks. No guilt for that BLT. That ham sandwich today, you got it. But this was a different time. And so they didn't even touch pigs at the time. It was humiliating, unfathomable that you would hang out with pigs or your job would be to feed pigs. And then it doesn't get any lower than longing for the food that the pigs have touched. For a Jew in that culture, it doesn't get any lower than now you're wanting this food, these carob pods that the pigs have touched and you're gonna eat that and you can't even get it? Like that's how low you are? Some people will not change until the pain levels are extremely high. Pain is a teacher. Yes, there's rebukes. When we're stubborn, we rebel against Father God. There are unnecessary scars and headaches and some of us won't turn or change until we feel the effects of our decisions. But we don't have to wait that long. In this passage, the son is waiting that long. There's so much pain that it's starting to get his attention that maybe there's a better way. And, and you could be trapped in some sort of sin that's repetitive or private, it's destructive, and you're just starting to think maybe there's a better way. God will meet you there today. God will meet you. There is a better way. 
And so this son, as he starts to think through it in his path, he is on a path that'll end up in jail, death, or coming home. Some people in their addictions and their rebellion are on a path. They're either gonna end up in jail, dead, or they're gonna come home. And it's time to come home. That's the message of this. It's time to come home. Now, let's say you're here today and you're thinking as a parent or even a grandparent and there's someone that you love, maybe a child or a grandchild that's running the wrong way. One of the hardest situations in life for a parent or grandparent is to watch this happen and to see the harm and the destruction. And you're gonna wonder, okay, do I help or am I enabling? Do I rescue or do I need to give a little space? What's my role in this? And this passage speaks to it. Now, that's one of the most difficult things you're gonna go through as a parent or a grandparent in life. So we don't have time to unpack all of it. I wanna say this, you can always pray. You can always pray and never give up, always pray. You can always give resources. Here's a church you can go to. Here's a counselor. Here's a rehab program. Here's a Christian psychiatrist. You can give different resources. Here's a pastor you can talk to. You can give resources. You can also continue to bring people into that child's life that are gonna build them up, that are positive, that are helpful. Those are some things you can always do. Well, here's some things to never do. Uh, You never want to uh, fall into the same sin as what's going on. If your kid's smoking something, don't start smoking it too. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff in the schools where the parents and the kids are doing the same stuff, right? So you don't wanna fall into sin. You don't wanna fall into sin of just like worries and fears and let that run wild in your life. You don't wanna go down that road either. You don't wanna be in denial. If on a scale of one through 10, the problem's now a seven, you don't wanna walk around like, it's only two and a half. Oh, they're fine. I did a little of that. They're fine. No, no, that's not a two and a half. That's a seven going on an eight, right? So sometimes parents wanna be in denial. Here's another thing not to do is to hinder the growth of your child by treating them like they're 10 years younger than they actually are. Oh, they're 13 and making some choices. Oh, that's just my little baby. No, your little baby's not three anymore. That, that baby's 13. Well, 19, oh, just, just like nine years old. Treat them like they're nine, you know? Oh, 28, you know, in jail again. I'll just keep bailing them out constantly, bailing them out, bailing them out, bailing them out. I'll cover everything all the time. It's like, really? You wanna think through that for a second? You know, they're not 15 anymore. Uh, so don't treat them like a baby when they're not a baby. Don't hinder their growth by trying to over, just enable in some other areas. Those are some things not to do. Well, here's the road. There's not a perfect blueprint for every situation, but this is what you want to do. You want to start to pray and listen to God. You want to listen to the Holy Spirit and look at the principles in the word. You say, okay, how much should I pursue? What boundaries or limits should I set? Is money involved? How much manipulation is here? How much addiction is here? How deep is this rebellion? Is truth being told? You want to be very aware Uh, Shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove, full of grace, full of truth. And God will guide you through that situation because no one knows better than Father God how to respond in that situation. And and that's a reality of going through life and parenting and not giving up, continue to pray. 
Now, I was at a conference recently and there was a thorough report from Barna and other ministries about Gen Z and a focus on teenagers. And there's some things that are discovered around being a teenager today that it's so different than it was 15, 20, 30 years ago. And what they're seeing is that there's so much more in terms of things to handle, changes, the pace of things, social media, anxiety is higher. There's a drifting, if you look in our country, there's a drifting from uh, walking with God that's happening now in this generation that should be eye-opening. But having said all that, here's some encouragement. What Barna concludes and the phrase they, they land on is this is the open generation. This generation is so open. They are trying to figure out, they want truth, they want authenticity, and they are wondering, whether it's online or in person, They are open to the Bible. They are open to Jesus. They are open to serving and making a difference in the community. They are very open. And the encouragement is, and the link was that the more mentors there are, the better things go. The more solid mentors in their lives, they don't want to just hear some things. They want to do things with someone. They want to collaborate. They don't just want to hear, oh, this is something, maybe it's a good teaching, that's a good start, but they actually want to do it together. They actually want to pray or go into the community or read the Bible. They want to do it together. They are open. They're just looking for some guidance. What a time in our country. And in this youngest generation, so many are even more committed because they've seen that Jesus is the truth and they're committed to Jesus and God is doing something special in this youngest generation in our country. And so as we think about this parable right here, the world wants to deceive, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to bring life. We all get duped, we all get deceived, but we can come home. We can come home. This prodigal can come home. Now, does the prodigal come home? Look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and blessed him. Know today that God sees you and his heart is full of compassion. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The second defining moment is when you open your heart and you receive the love and joy of Father God. You could do that today. Open your heart and receive the love and joy of Father God. It's a kingdom phrase that this son comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and realizes the goodness of the Father and being with the Father. He comes to his senses and it leads to a celebration. He's thinking, maybe dad will let me back in as a servant. And dad says, no, I'm celebrating you back in as my son, as my daughter. And there's a celebration that starts to happen. It began with repentance turning from sin, turning to God. 
David was someone in the Bible who repented and found refreshment. He became a man after God's own heart. Every single person in this room can be a man or woman after God's own heart. Here's what David said in Psalm 51. After his wretched sin, he said, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. See, David's heart is returning to God and his mind is saying, should I bring sacrifices? Should I bring animals? What should I bring to God? And then this is where he lands and it's the right spot. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God will never turn away someone who comes humbly to him. There's a lot of people who play games They try to trick God, they're deceptive. They just didn't like the consequence, but their heart hasn't really changed. That's not what we're talking about here. You're not gonna fool God. God's not duped, God won't be mocked. But for someone who comes humbly before God, God will always receive. And David became a man after God's own heart, after murder, after adultery, after cover-up, after a long list of things, because the doors open in the kingdom for anyone who wants to come home. Anyone today who wants to come back to God, the doors open. This is the love of God. This is dad's heart. Dad in this parable, he's watching, he's waiting. He's ready. He's not forcing it. He's patient. When his son starts to come back, compassion swells. He runs, he hugs, he kisses his son coming home. This is a radical grace. The son took his money, was foolish, Sinful, brought shame, headache, did the things dad said not to do, heartache, grief to his dad. And yet what did the dad bring? Grace, grace. This is all of our stories with Jesus, that all of us fall short of the glory of God and we rebel and are selfish and we are mean, we're impure. We do things and say things that are wrong and we bring this to God and what does he do? He absorbs it, he takes it all. Jesus becomes sin on the cross and he gives us his righteousness, his holiness, his peace and a relationship forever, full, pardoned, forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The love of God and the joy of God. The joy, you know, when God says in the first parable, he's leaving the 99 to go after the one sheep, there are some people who are just thinking, foolishness. 99 is so much more than one. Jesus, that's a bad decision. Jesus, you're not very good at math. (laughs) Jesus, you don't understand people. I I mean, you stick with the 99 sheep. You don't go after the one No, this is the joy. This is the joy of seeing the one come home. 10 coins in the second parable, Palestinian culture at the wedding, 10 coins are given. These coins have value, not just monetarily, but with a sentimental value. If you lost your wedding ring, that would be different than losing other rings. Other rings, you might look up and say, okay, how much was that worth? Okay, do we have the money? You lose that wedding ring, you are looking for weeks for that thing. Like you're renting metal detectors. Why? Because it has value beyond just the material value. And these coins have so much value that they're gonna sweep everywhere. We're gonna look high and low because we've gotta find that one. And then similar with these two sons, And we get a glimpse of the kingdom because heaven and earth rejoice when the sun comes home. 
when the daughter comes home. Heaven and earth, not just the celebration on earth, but heaven. We get a glimpse, what does heaven care about? Heaven cares about people and transform lives and people coming back to God. Heaven is roaring in excitement when there's someone who comes back to God. And we get to see that the kingdom includes heaven and earth and may it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. When people come to know the Lord every week, when people are getting baptized, when lives are being changed, when people, this week I heard a story about a son who's been away for a long time and he's coming back to the Lord. We rejoice together because this is a kingdom celebration. The sheep was foolish. Sometimes sheep don't make the best decisions. The coin, no fault for the coin. (laughs) Can't put blame on a coin. The son was very selfish. Different parables, but the same joy the same love, the same celebration. See, there was a man who just recently had a fight with his wife. And I'm so grateful for our drive-through prayer ministry. Every Friday night from five to seven, we have a team of people. You can join that team that stand on Auburn Way and just invite people to come in for prayer. It it says drive-through prayer. It, It really could just say, come home, come home. Well, this man was fighting with his wife and on his way to the casino Because we all have things we turn to that aren't godly when things get difficult. And the casino, just a go-to place when life, there's pain in life. He's going to the casino. But he drives past our church and sees drive-through prayer. So he comes in and he pours out his heart. He says, this is what just happened with my wife and I. And the team here, come home, prays with him. After the time of prayer, he doesn't go to the casino he goes back to his wife for restoration and reconciliation. This is a parable that's played out every single day. This invitation, this love, this joy. You know, the last three years have been traumatic. You can look at mental health statistics right now in our country. There's a lot of trauma. So, well, where's the healing gonna come? It's in the presence of God. That's where the greatest healing will come. You say there's digital ministry taken off. Yes, that's just an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. You say people are starting to return to church again now. Yes, they are. For some of them, it's been three years because returning to God's presence, it's about his presence. You see revival happening on so many college campuses around our nation right now. Well, at the heart of that is his presence. There's joy in his presence. You see people, Christians are getting more committed. They're starting to go for it with serving and locally and making a difference. Why? Because they sense God's presence as they bless and serve other people. It's about his presence and that's where the healing and joy is in our lives. The deepest joy and healing is in God's presence. This story, the climax isn't that there were fattened calves cooked. Although, you know, you might be hungry right now. It's not that a robe came out. Robes, who wants more robes? You know, it's not that the joy in this is the closeness in the presence. And don't miss that. There's healing in God's presence. Just come back to his presence. Come home, come home. Well, that would be a nice conclusion to the parable. And if Jesus stopped there, we would stop there. But Jesus doesn't stop there, so I don't think we should stop there. Jesus has something else he wants to say. And if anything, this last part might be the loudest part. And in you look at verse 25, the parable concludes, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Religious people never like music and dancing. <laughs> so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And the last defining moment is when Father God guides you and gives you his heart for people. May God right now guide us and give us his heart for people. There were two sons, they're both lost. One's very obvious, one's not so obvious. Some of us in this room have sin that's very clear. Others have sin that's very hidden. God sees both actions and attitudes. He sees rebellion. He cares about both. Well, the older self-righteous son is looking at this from a viewpoint of performance. I do more. I do it better. I've been doing it longer. I do more. I do it better for you, I do it longer. Performance, comparison, boasting. And ultimately, the oldest son, I own this house. That's what's implied. Dad, I own this house, I'll take it from here. I'm wiser, I'm more committed than the other son, I'll take it from here, I own this house. That's the heart of the older one. Now. Here's some truths to recognize religious people. One, they have a resentful heart. Religious people have a resentful heart and they have resentment towards other people. That's what they carry. They also carry extreme frustration because why? They're overextending and they're discouraged. They wanna have the final say, but the truth is God has the final say. And religious people are self-righteous. They have such a high view of themselves. Oh, it's so lofty. And these are the Pharisees. So Jesus is talking, he's sharing this parable and he's challenging the religious spirit. He's challenging it. And what do the Pharisees not have? They've lost their thanksgiving. They've lost a sense of humility. They've lost the ability to bring unity and rejoicing and a sense of God's mercy and appreciation for God's forgiveness and grace. They've lost that. Instead, what did they replace it with? Complaining, bitterness, suspicion. We're better than, holier than thou, the final judge, take control, puffed up, divide, comparison, envy, selfishness. And the most ridiculous part is that they're walking around thinking I'm aligned with God. (laughs) And God comes alongside a religious person and says, no, I'm not aligned with you at all. It's not confusing in this passage. Jesus is talking to the religious people. And the irony here is now who's accepted and who's welcomed and who isn't welcoming and who refuses to come to the kingdom feast. And you'd think, oh, that first son probably is never gonna be welcomed. That one's welcomed. 
Well, what about the older son? Self-righteous one refuses to come. Not coming, not coming. God cares about both. Notice this, when there's rebellion, God will never drop his standard. God will always be full of truth. God will never water down the scripture. That's not what we're talking about. He holds on to truth, but he's full of love towards both. He has different responses towards both. There is tension between the older brother and the younger brother, and there's tension between the older brother and dad. And ultimately, all that tension is highlighting the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. If you think these three parables in Luke chapter 15 are just kind of a nice little devotion that say, oh yeah, try to do something in your neighborhood that's kind of loving, you've really missed the parables and you've really missed Luke chapter 15 because Jesus is going face to face with the religious spirit, the religious mindset and the religious leaders. And when you get to this parable and this point in the parable, Jesus Although he doesn't say it, it's so implied that he's looking at the religious people saying, you are the older brother. Pharisees, you are the older brother. You've lost sight of God's mercy and grace. You've turned it into something around here that doesn't have the heart of God and you're dividing, you're gossiping, you're not forgiving. You are not aligned with me. That's not how my kingdom works. And Jesus nails it. And religious people hate this passage. They just hate it. They don't come back to churches that preach it like this. They don't want this business. Jesus, full of grace and truth. The religious people are like, you know, only people getting in the kingdom are Jewish. Jesus says, nope, all nations, all cultures, all ethnicities. Religious people are like, yeah, we thank God for the truth of that. We thank God. Religious people are like the kids are second rate. Jesus says, no kid is second rate. And don't you ever hinder them from coming in to church, to Jesus, to the Bible. Don't hinder them in any way. See, the religious leaders are like, men are superior to women. Jesus is like, no, there's equality. There's equality in value and worth. And this is a kingdom for men and women. See, the religious leaders are like, lepers don't get in. Jesus says, well, that's who I hang out with and love. Well, blind people don't get in. Oh, I love them. Whether they can see or not see, I already love them fully. Well, someone who's committed adultery could never make it into the kingdom. Oh, yes, because my grace is greater than your sin. You see, this kingdom is kind of unexpected for the religious leaders. And don't we have to be careful that we're not turning into the judge and the religious type without even checking in with God and seeing, how does he love people? How does he see people? Maybe the answer, although it's so simple, is to love the believers and to love people who reject God and to go fully all out for both because that's who I see Jesus is. And why would we settle for anything less than that? No cute devotion here, just a welcome invitation to anyone to come home. Anyone to come home. Get rid of guilt and shame. This is God's kingdom. It's a kingdom of joy, righteousness, peace. It's a kingdom where the gates are open for anyone to come. And so I'm gonna ask the elders to come forward. As we read in this parable, who God is, his goodness, his kingdom. This is why we praise him. This is why we seek him. 
And the elders are gonna be up front right now. And you're gonna have an opportunity right now. If you wanna put your trust in Jesus for the first time, maybe you're here realizing, I don't know the Lord yet. I'm not born again. I'm just kind of religious. Then you can come forward. You wanna get baptized, come forward. If you're sick here today, physically, you have something the doctors are dealing with and you know you need more help than just what the doctors can give, then come forward. Emotionally, if you're going through it these days, mental health is just getting so challenging, then come forward. Because the Bible says these, these elders, it, that they will grab oil and they will pray for you. So you just come forward and you just say, this is what I need prayer for. This is what I'm deciding today. If you wanna repent from sin today, it's like, I wanna get out. I want a new start. I, I just know I need to come clean with God. Then you come forward today. These are all opportunities to come forward. Can we together encourage the people who are gonna come forward right now? Yeah, it's a great thing to come forward. Let's go ahead and and stand up as we worship. God, search our hearts right now. If there's anything with you, God, that's not right, God, we wanna turn from that. Jesus, teach us. We wanna be like you. God, forgive us our stubbornness. I pray for this time of prayer, God, this time of healing. God, what you're gonna do during this moment as we seek you, God, we thank you that you answer prayer. We thank you that you care. Bless and lead and guide this time of prayer. Bless each one coming forward. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.